I'm David Porter, author of Five Minutes to Live. Just a few things to note about the podcast. First, if you want to purchase Five Minutes to Live, the link is in the description of the podcast, but can be purchased online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and even at Walmart and Target online. I've also listed my Facebook and Twitter links. I'd love to hear from you, especially if you're enjoying the book. In this series, we're going to read through Five Minutes to Live, chapter by chapter, releasing a new chapter each week. If you didn't start with Episode 1, the prologue, please go back and start there. Please subscribe and hit the alert notification, whatever that looks like on your preferred podcast platform. That way you'll know when the new episodes are released. And if you're enjoying this journey, please, please, please share this podcast with your friends and family. Five Minutes to Live has a lot of footnotes for the research done and the Bible verses quoted. I'll post those footnotes in the description of each episode. Finally, I've got a new book on the way titled 60 Seconds of Silence that I am really excited about. Once that book is available, I'll go back and post that link in each episode's description as well. With that, thank you for being here. Let's get started. All right, today we're going to read chapter 6. Here's where it gets going, guys. I'm really excited. This is one of my favorite chapters. Chapter 6. The landing wasn't an easy one. I wasn't a pilot, but I'd flown commercially numerous times in my life, and this landing felt like we were coming in extremely too fast. Maybe that's how military pilots were trained, or maybe it was because the jet was so much smaller than the commercial airline flights I had taken, and it just seemed like we were moving incredibly fast. Most likely, it seemed like we were about to crash land because I was on hyper alert from everything that had happened over the last few hours and the thought of what I was being asked to do. The wheels slammed down hard on the runway, and the lightweight jet bounced a few times. The tires squeaked and squawked as the brakes were engaged. There was a rapid momentum change. In an instant, we went from flying free to being held by the confines of tires and asphalt. I was pushed forward in my cushioned chair and the seatbelt pulled tight across my lap. I audibly grunted as the seatbelt pressed into the bruises on my stomach and hips caused from the car accident last night. Was that just last night? It seemed like forever ago. Even before we came to a stop, Aaron was up and moving about the cabin of the plane, gathering his belongings, his laptop, into a backpack. I looked at him, questioning, mouth open without saying anything. Should I bring my stuff? And Aaron seemed to sense my meaning. Your belongings are in my report. My country will repay anything that has been lost. You are welcome to carry your things, but when we repay, it's always with something better. Up to you, Aaron said. With that, my stuff was quickly forgotten. The Cessna jet taxied for a few short minutes and at a much quicker pace than I was accustomed to moving at an airport. We lurched as we came to our final resting spot and the engine seemed to power down. I was looking out of the window and found it odd that there wasn't any ground crew anywhere around. I guess we didn't have luggage to unload so it must not be that unusual. The flight attendant emerged from the rear and what I guess was the co-pilot emerged from the cockpit and began the process of opening the door. I noticed Aaron and the rest of the crew were armed. The door opened with a schnock 
noise as the suction was broken. It unfolded outward, dropping like I imagined a castle drawbridge must have. The stairs that faced us inside the cabin were now available to descend. Quickly, the co-pilot and flight attendant were down the stairs. The engines hadn't even been fully disengaged. Aaron was right on their heels. They seemed on edge, tense, ready. The next step of the mission was about to begin. The pilot was still sitting in a seat working on what I guessed were final shutdown procedures. The co-pilot, flight attendant, and Aaron had already stepped onto the pavement just as I stepped into the doorway. The bright afternoon sun was in my eyes and I put my hand up to shield them from the sudden brightness. I was still in the door when I heard the first thwap and saw an intense glint of light just outside of my peripheral vision. That was followed closely by several more thwap, 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 thwap sounds. I was still standing in the doorway of the airplane, confused, when I felt the aircraft lurch forward. I looked down toward Aaron, and he wasn't there. Gone. The flight attendant was lying in a quickly spreading pool of blood. The co-pilot and Aaron had taken up covered position with their guns drawn. It took mere seconds for my eyes to locate them and realize what was happening. Gunfight. Thirty seconds was all it took from start to finish. We were surrounded on all sides by men dressed in black tactical gear. It looked like they were using suppressed weapons. They had long cylindrical tubes attached to the ends of the barrels of their guns, what most of the world calls silencers. This would account for the thwapping sounds I heard. I immediately moved back into the cabin and fell flat on the floor of the jet. Thwap, thwap, thwap! The men continued to fire. It started slowly, and then, like a bag of popcorn in a microwave, began to slowly intensify. Aaron and the co-pilot began returning fire. Blam! 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 The unsuppressed weapons blasted through the air. Ducking behind the cover, only slipping out to shoot, Aaron and his counterpart fought back. I saw the co-pilot run from where he was hiding behind a small stack of cargo boxes towards a large airplane hangar. It was a short run, but there was no cover for him along the way. Surprisingly, he made it without a problem. It didn't even seem like anyone shot at him. That's when I realized my trouble was increasing exponentially. The airplane was moving and I was rolling away from the gunfight. That was a good thing, a great thing, except that when the enemy saw it, they began concentrating all of their firepower on us. I laid there not daring to move, with my hands and arms covering my head. My distraction, the jet rolling away, must have given the co-pilot just enough room to run free. You, O oh Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I found myself screaming, but I was also now lifting my head trying to see what was going on. The jet engines began to pick up speed. Lying flat on the floor, I saw Aaron follow his co-pilot and run for cover both of them seeming to momentarily break free from the confines of the gunfight. Suddenly, the airplane jerked and turned quickly, abruptly to the right. Before we started moving, the airplane had been parallel with the gunfight, giving 75 feet of target to the mercenaries. Once we started rolling, we shortened the angle they had to fire at us, and now that we had turned 90 degrees away from them, we seemed to be a much smaller target. Not only that, we were gaining speed and putting distance between us. Are we going to try and take off? Should I try and close this door? The pilot's cockpit was only a few feet away from where I was lying. 
I could tell it was unlocked as the door stood open, swinging as we bumped along. I screamed to the captain, Should I try and pull the stairs up and close this door? Are, are we going to take off? And then, What do I do? But I didn't get an answer. The whole time, bullets were popping around me, crunching pieces of metal, breaking glass. I crouched and extended my arm as far as I could, pushing the captain's door open. I shouted again, What do I do? Still no answer. Maybe he doesn't speak English. Maybe he thinks I'm one of the mercenaries who has boarded his plane. I slowly crawled forward, saying the only Hebrew word I knew, Shalom! 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 and pushed the door completely open. I could see all of the panels, screens, and instruments, and for the first time I could see through the windshield. I could see exactly where we were headed. Are you crazy? I screamed as loud as my still raspy voice could. We were headed directly for the terminal. I could see pandemonium through the concourse glass as frightened airline passengers and airline staff saw what was going to happen and began running for cover. I shouted again at the pilot, stop, 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 turn now, turn, turn, turn. But when I looked over at him, he was slumped across the steering wheel, blood oozing from both sides of his head. A bullet hole through one of the pieces of glass windshield showed the trajectory of the bullet that smashed through both sides of his head. Lord, I need your help, I screamed. The next instant, I knew what to do. I jumped back into the main cabin area and crawled under one of the tables, knees up and head tucked, just like a tornado drill from when I was in middle school. One of the benefits of growing up on Tornado Alley, if you can call anything about being on Tornado Alley a benefit. The plane shuddered against the impact of the building. Glass exploded, sheet metal groaned, and people screamed in a symphony of sound. It was a violent impact, and within seconds, Alarms were sounding in the terminal. There was smoke and I heard the sprinkler system engage. I sat there, under the table, assessing the damage to me and to the plane. The interior cabin was virtually unrecognizable, being almost totally destroyed. Lights blinked and alarms wailed. Wires were exposed and oxygen masks hung from the ceiling. On the other hand, I was completely fine. I had been protected staying safe in the midst of the storm. He has given his angels charge over me, I whispered as I crawled from under the table. I knew the mercenaries would be on me in seconds. I had to get out of there, but I had no idea where Aaron was or if he was even still alive. I made my way to the still open door of the aircraft. The stairs had been ripped away, but it was only a few feet to drop to the floor of the concourse. At high speed, I joined the crowd of people running away from the smoldering ruins inside the concourse. I'm sure all those people would be called to witness what they had seen, but my plan was to be gone long before any authorities arrived. But then I realized that Aaron might still be trapped, pinned down from the machine gun fire. I couldn't let him die that way. I couldn't let his father down in that way. I was torn. Go back for him? I'm not armed. I don't know if I could even find him, and for all I know, I'm the only person on this mission who's still alive. Someone has to beat the mercenaries to Tel Aviv. Someone has to make this mission a success. Aaron's sacrifice has to be worth it. To myself, I said, I've got to get to Tel Aviv. It was chaos at the airport. Alarms were sounding. People were running. The minimal police and military present on duty 
at that moment was trying to get organized, and it was pretty simple for me to slip by them. I ran outside and flagged down a taxi. I opened the door and said, Do you speak English? The heavy-set taxi driver nodded and said, Little. That was a relief. That meant I wouldn't have to make small talk to him, who I was, why I was visiting the city and all that, as we made the drive. Okay, will you take me to Tel Aviv? The cab driver nodded his agreement. I guess the hour-long drive wasn't a big deal to him. Great. Uh, do, do you take credit cards? He again nodded in approval. I dropped into the back seat and shut the door. The driver asked, Logich? He didn't realize anything had happened at the airport and thought I was a normal disembarking traveler. I shook my head and said, None. One day trip. That seemed to suffice. He shrugged and off we went. I could hear sirens in the distance. I tried to act indifferent to what was going on. I looked at the cab driver in his rearview mirror as he started pulling into traffic and he wasn't paying any attention to the noise. He turned the knob on his radio, raising the sound of the techno music playing through the speakers. Unreal. Just another day in the life of an Israeli. End of chapter six. If you're still here, thanks for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed that reading. If you want to purchase Five Minutes to Live, the link is in the description below, and you can find my Facebook and Twitter links there as well. Drop me a line. Please subscribe and hit the bell so you know when the next chapter is released. And if you're enjoying this, please share it with your friends and family. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.